cut it there because uh, they say a bad, bad no-no word. And uh, that's not that's not Easter appropriate. Uh, but Iron Man, things go lights out for Iron Man. Uh, he dies. Uh, but the Hulk uh, breathes life into him. He's able to experience a, a resurrection life, if you will, because the Hulk takes matters into his own hands. It was lights out for Iron Man. And then... And then the light slowly came on, and he's able to fight evil and all of those things. And today, we get to celebrate, we get to marvel at a hero where it went lights out for him as well. But then light started to creep in, and he rose from the grave, and we get to celebrate that and respond now accordingly. The same situation could happen to, to everybody in a room. The same situation could happen to two different people, and, and the way in which you respond might be different. Like, you're sitting here wondering, like, did they really plan for the lights to go out? Is this a mistake? <laughs> like some of us are like, well, this is creepy. This is weird. This is like, Mom, why did you drag me to church? They turned the lights off. Like, like, you have a response. It might be a negative response for others. The kids were a nightmare on the ride into church on God's, on Easter nonetheless. And now you're sitting here in the dark, and it's peaceful. And now you're just like, don't turn the lights back on. This is so nice. <laughs> in this room, we can respond differently to the lights going out. Ava and I had the same sort of text messages this past Monday. Y'all survived the tornado warnings from Monday? Well, I got this text while I was at the gym, and uh, it said, well, we just got multiple tornado warnings on the alarm system. Can you come home? And I responded back like any good husband would do. I was like, I have 15 minutes left in my workout. Can we, can we do this then? <laughs> uh, I mean, she was so sweet. She's like, Jason, you're my Hulk of a husband. Come save me. Like, that's how I read that text. And, and so this is, what, this is what I did. I had time to go on my Insta story. <laughs> that's my elliptical. Power went out, real creepy. And there was, of the 30 people in the gym, not a single person went home. <laughs> we all stood in the gym and finished our workouts. <laughs> and it was crazy. So, so same, same situation, same warning. Two vastly different responses. You could be, you could love sports, and you could be, you could be sitting, sitting there watching a game, and your team might be up six nothing. And the one fan might be all doomsday and be like, well, they're gonna blow the lead. Once that once the closer comes in, oh, this is all gonna go to crap. This isn't gonna work out. We're gonna, I can't, we're not gonna hold this lead. Well, well, the other fan is sitting next to you saying, six-nothing. This is great. We're crushing them. This is so great. Two different responses to the same situation. It, it maybe. Maybe a more real-life situation is thinking about a pregnancy test. Vastly different responses depending on your perspective, right? You could look at the, you could look at the pregnancy test and be like, whoa, like how did this happen? This isn't, this isn't planned. This is, this, this is a mistake. Four or five different tests later, oh, my goodness, like I am pregnant. And, and it brings this fear. It brings this like, oh, my goodness, what will I do? Well, others would look at a pregnancy test and, and jump for Julie. All sorts of great responses to that. The same sort of a situation, but depends on your perspective, how you might respond to it. And so then there's Friday. We just celebrated Good Friday. The only part of Good Friday is what's coming on Sunday. Two different responses. You have, you have religious leaders celebrating. You have religious leaders that are, are saying, good, he's dead. Three agonizing hours on the cross. He is good as dead. Throw him in the grave. We win. You have others looking at that scene, and, and for them it's not, it's not victory, but them it's, it's confusion. Is this real? 
Did he die? Is he just unconscious? And then the reality starts creeping in. It's, it's a blackout. It's lights out for Jesus, and he is in the grave. What do his followers do? Even though some of these figures may not have been around at the time, that how, how is he different than Muhammad? Well, he died and stayed dead. How is he different than Buddha? Well, he died and he stayed dead. How is he different than any of the famed Roman leaders, these Roman gods? How, how is he different? Though well, they died and they stayed dead. How is he different? We looked at Judas Maccabee last, last week and, and this, this Jewish military leader that came riding into the city. Well, he died and he stayed dead. How is Jesus any different? He was talking and he said, this whole mission that I'm on, it's, it's surrounded with, it's based on my life. And so assumption is, as Christ dies, there goes the mission. If you're his follower, slowly fear. Slowly doubt, slowly anxiety starts to creep in onto the scene. But Sunday's coming, and that rock slowly begins to roll away. Light slowly begins to crack through into the tomb. And as there was doubt, as there was fear, as there was anxiety, with the light, the true light of Christ, comes truth, life, and resurrection power, and we celebrate that today. And this is what it says in Matthew 28. It says this, now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week. So Matthew is writing this. He has a time stamp. It's a beautiful time stamp because Jesus said three days, and here on the first day of the week, Sunday. Why? Because a part of the day on Friday, all of Saturday, and Sunday, now three days he's been on a calendar wise he has been dead and then mary mary magdalene now we're well, if, if you've been at wellspring for a little bit you know this lady we've talked about her she was previously all sorts of cray cray she was crazy she had seven demons up inside of her she was crazy until she met jesus and jesus cast out those demons that's who jesus uses to proclaim this <laughs> and then the other mary went to see the tomb and behold there was a great earthquake for the angel of the lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it now as i was refreshing and reading this this week i was i, I paused and i was i was reading it and and i started laughing i paused there and, and jordan was like what's so funny and i was like the angel came down he rolled away the stone and then what did he do? He sat on it like a boss. Like, I'm looking at this, and I'm like, if I'm the angel, I'm doing the exact same thing. I'm rolling it away. I'm sitting on it. And I'm like, <laughs> y'all suckers. They looked at that rock like this was victory. Seal him in. And the angels are rolling away the rock, and it becomes their seat of victory. And his appearance was like lightning. Well, it was so dark. <laughs> But now, with Christ on the scene, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And the fear of him, the fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now, if you walked in this room a skeptic because mommy or daddy or somebody rolled you in here, it's Easter, you gotta come to church. You're in here, and you might be a skeptic. If you're looking at this scene, if this is the account of the story given the Bible, what, what you would never do if this was an untrue story? You would never name an eyewitness because then you can go to said eyewitness. Then you can scare said eyewitness. Then you can manipulate said eyewitness. Then you can twist said eyewitness's words. Then you can, you can scare. You can do all sorts of things to the eyewitness. If this is an untrue story, you know what would be a really wise thing for you to do? Say there were eyewitnesses. Oh, there were some people that saw it. So that, the, so that you can't go and try to manipulate it. But they name, they name Mary. And guess what we don't have? 
Google it right now. Mary's account that this was all fake. You won't find it. You won't find the account of, well, I know Mary, and so-and-so, so-and-so knows Mary, and they said that she was lying and that, that, that she twisted the story. You won't find any of that. They named Mary, and go ahead and Google. You won't find the, the JK moment for Mary because she went to the grave holding on to this story. You have different responses to fear. You have, you have an earthquake, right? The earthquake, there's some fear and trembling with that. But then that same word for earthquake, trembling in the ground, like roaring and whatnot, is the same Greek word that's then used of, of, these, of these guards. They are quaking. They are trembling. They are peeing their pants with what they just saw and experienced. And so they do what any trained Roman soldier would do. They start playing dead. <laughs> the assigned, those assigned to, the, to, to guard a dead man, now become like the dead themselves. Well, the one who was dead is now alive, having taken the enemy's best shot. I, uh, I love The Walking Dead. I'm one of the three people in America that still watches The Walking Dead. And uh, there used to be tons of people that watched The Walking Dead. And there was a scene that, that people stopped watching it. And the scene was when, so The Walking Dead is this thing where like there's a disease and you become a zombie. And it's kind of far-fetched, but until you talk to uh, an infectious disease doctor, which I have and said, like, theoretically, it could really happen, that changed The Walking Dead for me completely. Uh, and so there's, uh, so people become like zombies, okay? And so they're walking around, and the people that are still alive, they're not zombies. Now there's two camps. Now there's Camp Negan. He has a bat, Lucille. It's wooden, and it's wrapped in, wrapped in barbed wire, and he, he controls people with fear. And then you have Rick, and he's a decently good guy. He leads his camp, and things are going well for him. But then he, then he okay, he kills some of, um, unfortunately, he kills some of uh, Negan's people, and Negan gets mad, captures Rick and his people, and now the scene is such that, that now they're all kneeling before Negan, and Negan is saying, well, I'm not going to kill all of you, but I got to at least kill one of you to make a point. <laughs> and so he goes around and goes, eeny, meeny, miny, mo," and it comes to Abraham. Abraham's a military dude. He's a tough, tough, tough dude. And Negan, Negan takes the bat, Bops him on the head. <laughs> Negan falls over. You would, if I were Negan, I, I mean, if I were Abraham, I would have played dead. I would have you know, done something. But, but what, what, what Abraham does is he then comes back up, back on his knees, and in, the compl- in a complete boss move, he, he takes his bloodied mouth and he spits blood on Negan, uh, and then Negan destroys him. Uh, but he took, he took Negan's best shot and rose back up. And and in essence, in that moment, he he overcame that. For you and I, we marvel, we marvel at a hero that overcame our enemy's best shot. The enemy's best shot was putting putting Jesus on a cross. That was his best, his best, best, best thing that he could do. And And then we look at the cross and why we call it good is because when my enemy did his absolute worst by murdering the son of God, God accomplished his absolute best. God, by the payment of his own blood, redeemed you and I, bought us, purchased us. Where we had blood over our heads for our wrong, Jesus died for the sins of mankind. At the absolute worst of my enemy, God accomplished his absolute best. I have an enemy that celebrates triumphs in death. I serve now a Savior, a Messiah, a Lord who celebrates not death, but triumphs over death with life. And you know what that means to you and I as followers of Jesus Christ? That means Satan is still trying to throw his absolute best at you. But the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and is so skilled at silencing Satan's 
best. So as he throws his best at you, that Holy Spirit keeps silencing with resurrection power our enemy. And now this is how the story continues. Well, then the angel said to the women, he's addressing the women because the men on the scene, well, they're playing dead. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Women, like, you were walking onto the scene. This isn't the wrong tomb. You haven't made this. You're not hallucinating. Like, this is real. Like, this is where you're supposed to be. But he's not here. Something has changed. He's not here, for he has risen as he said. He's not a liar. Come and see the place where he lay. See for yourselves. Don't take my words, the angels. Don't take my words for it, because you have a very important role to play. I want you to see for yourself. And so they go quickly, and then go. Once you see for yourself, then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he was going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him as I have told you. So see for yourself. Know that it's truth, and then do what? Go on mission. And what do they do? They departed quickly because that's what followers of Jesus do. They cling to the mission, and they go, and they do, and they do it quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. That's their emotions. It's a weird combination, right? They have fear and joy. We'll talk about that. And he ran to tell, and they, and they ran to tell the, the disciples. Uh, here's, here's something that I know of uh, what the scripture says, that Jesus is, in, is, an, is a resurrection body. It's different. His, his body is such where, where post-death, post-resurrection, he's not like you and I. He's in, he's in, he's in a process of becoming more, more ascending into heaven. So he, he's in the process of being man and now ascending into heaven where he's going to be with God, his glorified body. So he's in a transitional state. So as he's walking those 40 days on the earth, Jesus' body is different than the body that you and I experience, the glorified body. So that means that there's, there's eyewitnesses account of, of Jesus walking through a door. A locked door, and all of a sudden, Jesus appearing and getting through the door. There's, there's, there's accounts of, of Jesus being able to appear certain places. Po, uh, pre, pre-death, pre-resurrection, those things weren't in place. And so Jesus is able to do these things now, post-resurrection. So you know what that means? When that rock was in front of the grave, Jesus didn't need that rock to be rolled away to get out. So then why was it rolled away? It was rolled away so that we could see and know for certain that Jesus was dead, buried, and rose again. That rock was rolled away, not for Jesus, but to let us in. And that's why he chooses these women to be the eyewitnesses, to be the ones sharing the story. Why? Because Mary Magdalene, she was there at the cross. These, these are women that could say, I saw him dead. He was dead. I saw the spear. I saw the, 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 the flowing liquids coming out of his side. He was dead. I helped bury him. And now as an eyewitness, I can, I can confirm to you, I've seen an empty tomb. I have seen a dead man walk. And now I get to go and tell others that Jesus wasn't lying. Jesus wasn't kidding. That he is truthful. And I am going to now have joy over the fact that Jesus is alive. But there is a little natural fear that's going to come in. Why? Because Jesus was talking about being Lord and Savior. He was talking about dying and that his temple, the temple would be destroyed. The temple of his body would be destroyed. And that three days later, he would, he would rise again. The temple would be re- re- rebuilt. He was talking about this. And the religious leaders said, this was garbage. This is blasphemy. This is stupid. That will never happen. And that type of talk put him on the cross. 
And so if you're one of the women in the scene, if I go on mission, if I start talking like this, why wouldn't the religious leaders naturally put me on a cross myself? And so there's implications where, man, I need a little perspective here. I, need a, I have a little bit of fear, but I also have joy over the fact of what has gone on. And the angel gives them a little bit of a perspective change. You can go and you can tell others because of what I have said and what you have seen. Last Sunday, I, I, ha- I was having a little issue with my boy, my boy Landon. And he's, he's 18 going, or he's 8 going on 18 with all the attitude of an 18-year-old. If you have, if you, like, the, like the one or two parents that giggled, you have kids that are young and they have the attitude of like a 35-year-old. And you're like, what is going on? Where did my cute kid go? And now all of a sudden, like, everything has attitude. And, and so we're sitting over there in the living room and I'm talking to him. And I'm actually telling him something good. Like, this is a good thing. And he in turn gives me attitude. And I was like, oh, no way. No, you're not giving me. No, you're not going to give me attitude. And so, like, we're talking. I was like, dude, like careful, like, I'm, like, you were saying something good, and he was just, like, fighting me, fighting me, fighting me, I was like, oh, my goodness, and, and so I, I was like, dude, let's go for a walk, and just dad, dad, son time, we went for a walk, we went up to the, the stairs up there, and we were just talking, and again, I'm saying good things to him, I'm like, dude, like, your attitude is going to make this worse, like, it's, it's making it worse, and, and finally, he was just like, fine, I was like, no, <laughs> and, and he gives me attitude, and I was like, okay, fine. Like, I was like, dude, okay, like, if you make this choice, if you continue to have a bad day, you'll lose privileges. Choose right now to please have a good day. And he was like, fine. And then he walked away. And I was like, Arr. And so as, I, as we walk away, he's not walking with me because he's too cool for me. And uh, as he's walking away from me, I bump into Jordan. Jordan's like, hey, can I do anything for you? I was like, oh, you're so nice. I don't need anything church-related, but could you talk to Landon? <laughs> Jordan, Jordan lives with us. He knows Landon well. And, and I told uh, Jordan a little bit what's going on, and he, and he pulls Landon aside. Jordan said to Landon everything I said. <laughs> but it came from Jordan. And Jordan's cooler than me. <laughs> and so everything switched. <laughs> everything switched. And you know what that perception, what, what I see, as he looked at the situation a little bit differently, you know what it led to? A very worshipful moment for me, literally. Uh, I'm sitting up here, and Landon's between Ava and I. And Landon, during, the, during I think, the first song, uh, grabbed Ava's side, grabbed my side, and then pulled us in and wanted us to cuddle close with him as we sang worship. It became a, a very worshipful scene for Ava and I as I was like, the morning has been garbage. Your, per, your perception changed, and now we're together as a family, family worshiping Jesus with my eight-year-old son. It was beautiful. Some of us walk in here just needing a slight perception change. For me, a slight perception change was, the, was this fact. I don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ only because the Bible says so. I don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ just because the Bible says so. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because Mary was an eyewitness and she went to the grave saying so. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because Matthew and and John and Peter and others, they saw it firsthand and they went to the grave saying so. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because Luke investigated it. Luke was a doctor. Luke looked at all of the details and he concluded this was the son of God and he died and he rose again I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and perhaps my most favorite argument for it is is James the half-brother of Jesus he thought Jesus was crazy he wanted Jesus to die wouldn't you if your son if your brother was saying oh I'm the son of God you should worship me you'd probably want him dead too and then he dies 
And then in a risen form, he meets James. James says, man, you said that you were going to be murdered. You said that you were going to rise from the grave, and you did. And James becomes a leader in the church. James goes to the grave not saying, hey, y'all should worship my brother. He goes to the grave saying, y'all should worship my Lord and my Savior. You have brothers and sisters. What would it take for you to look at your brother as Lord and Savior? If he could predict his death, burial, and resurrection, that might change your mind. It changed James' mind, and he went to the grave holding on to this truth. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. Now again, I love this about Jesus. I love how this to me is comedy because Jesus, like, the, the women woke up, they went to the grave, and like, they don't understand what, like, not, like, what was going to prepare them for the angel of the earthquake and all that's going on. Now they're walking there. Now they have to go tell people, like, Jesus is alive. He's like, what? And Jesus appears on the scene. He's like the guy in the group text with 10 people that's like blowing up the conversation, and then that one person that hasn't kept, kept responded with anything, all of a sudden just writes, hi, like, I'm here, and this is annoying. And, and Jesus just appears on the scene, and he says one word to these ladies. Howdy. Hi. How you doing? I'm here. Like, like, and, I, and I love that. But then, and they came up and took hold of him. Once they heard his voice, what did they do? They took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. They're worshiping at his feet, and he sees their worship. And what he sees in the midst of their worship is fear. And in the midst of that, he says, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and they will see me, saying again the same thing, the same thing as the angel. They go to Jesus. They have fear. They have their doubts. They, they, have, they, they, have, their, their, they have all of the emotions going on. And what do they do with their fear? They hear the voice of of Jesus. And that changes everything. The presence of God changes everything for you and I in our, in our fear and in our anxiety. And what they do when they meet and they hear Jesus, what do they do? They go to the feet of Jesus and worship. That is a response. You might walk in here with your own fear, your own anxiety, your own doubt, your own skepticism, and that is okay. But what do you do for these women, they go to the feet of Jesus, and it leads to worship. And again, if you're if you're looking at this scene, if you want if you want if you're like, man, I, I want I need some proof. I I have some skepticism. Here's here's something maybe to sign some of your skepticism. If you're writing this a made up story, guess what you're never going to do in AD 30. You're never going to funnel the story through women. 2019, different story. Thanks be to God for that. But in AD 30, women weren't considered trustworthy. Women couldn't testify in a, in a court of law. They couldn't give testimony. They couldn't, they, couldn't, they couldn't stand before people and say this was true. They would, they would say that this isn't a real thing. And so they would never have used a woman. If you wanted your story to have credibility, you're going to funnel it through men. But God don't care about that when it's absolutely true. God don't care about public opinion. God don't care about that, that portion of culture because he, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, makes the playing field before Jesus all sorts of equal. And so we just looked at a series called Misunderstood. You know what we did? I was, I was talked to after church one Sunday. And someone said, hey, I love what you guys are doing, and you're cool and all, but I hate your God because he hates women. And I was like, what? Do you see how God is using women throughout the scriptures? And we looked at, Mary Magdalene was one of the women we looked at. And what I love about our church is, is this is a picture of a life group serving the homeless. 
it's, it's men and women serving the homeless. Why? Because men and women are put on mission for Jesus Christ equally together. What, what, what I love about this is they're doing it side by side. There's not, they're, they're equals right there. It's, it's, one, of our, it's one of our missions, uh, our values is that we exist, and I'm sorry, that, that we value an all-inclusive gospel message, that the gospel is for everyone. We don't try to nitpick genders. That's stupid. Like, we, don't try to, we don't try to nitpick sins. You know what we believe? That Jesus Christ died for all human beings. And all human beings struggle with sin. And there is sin in every single human being. So I'm not going to have the approach that I will bring the gospel to this sin or these people. But these people, oh, they can go fend for themselves. No. In an all-inclusive gospel message, Christ died for all. And all join him on mission to share this message. This, uh, this message. And so in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, one of the things that we have is proof that God reminds us of our equal standing before God. He reminds us that both male and female are created in the image of God together, equal before God. And what he reminds me through the pages of this scripture is that the most powerful, the most trusted, the most privileged position one can have is sharing a message on behalf of God Almighty. And who does he go to with the most important message to share? He goes first to women to share the reality of the risen Lord because it's a message for all to be shared by all. And so there are homeless among us. You have a job to play. Get to sharing. There are men among us. You have a job to do. Get to sharing. There are women among us. You have a job to do. Get to sharing. There are married among us. You have a job to do. Get to sharing. There are singles among us. You have a job to do. Get to sharing. There are the young. There are the old. And there are those that don't want to say their age. You have a job to do. Get to sharing. But they tried silencing, and here's how they responded. Now these religious leaders and the guards, they said, well, they were going, behold. Some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. They had to go to the chief priest because that was the assignment. Normally, Roman guards don't report uh, to these high priests, but because of the assignment, that's who they, they would report to. And when they had assembled with the elders, taken counsel, and, there was, and gave them a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. This, been, they did that with Judas. They gave him money. That's kind of their thing. Like, we'll just give money make this go away. Uh, tell, people, uh, tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while uh, we were asleep. And if it comes to the governor's ears, we can satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Oh, so if it comes to the governor's ears, he's going to know that this is a bunch of bull dunky. He's going to know this, this doesn't hold up, and we're going to need to give you money because you could die for this, and we're going to need to protect you. Yes, because the story doesn't hold up. And so they took the money and, and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. It's a story that some of us even walked in here believing. The disciples had all the motivation in the world, so they must have stolen the body. Now, as you're a skeptic, and you might come into it with that opinion, I want to invite you as a skeptic now to think about what that actually means. As a skeptic, you would have to look at this, and you, you would have to say then that there are Roman soldiers that could die for falling asleep on the job, willing to go to their higher-ups and say, I fell asleep on the job guarding a dead man's body. It was stolen from me. That would be your death. You would, have to, you would also have to look at this and say, does this add up? Like, you're trained, and now these untrained, these weren't soldiers. These were fishermen. These were tax collectors. There's a whole bunch of random people that these untrained men were able to go to the tomb, sneak around your sleeping body, 
and, and move. Like you're not gonna you're not gonna wake up when the when the rock is being rolled away. You're not going like you're like they're these untrained. These men that had no courage. They all scatter. They're, they're like, two of them are in the courtyard. One of them is at the foot of the cross. But more by less, they're like Peter or Peter's not even willing to say I I want I align myself with Jesus. And now they have the courage to take on Roman soldiers. And and maybe I'm just too naive, but if you had fallen asleep, how'd you know it was the disciples? You couldn't if you claimed to be asleep. So the story does not hold up. Sometimes, though, people still believe this story. Sometimes the truth is harder to believe than a lie. Sometimes we'd rather believe the lie than the truth. And so what do you want to do with this? You might then turn to me and say, well, Jason, explain the resurrection. And I'm going to look at you and say, I can't. Why? Because it's a miracle. If a miracle is logical, if a miracle can be explained, guess what it's not? A miracle. It's unexplainable. It's not logical. And so it's a miracle of Jesus. It's a miracle that this took place. And so you'll explain to me, well, well I'll, I'll, no, I'll look back at you when you're trying to get me to explain. I'll look back at you and I'll ask you a question. Explain to me when you Google this, where is the body? Explain to me, where is the tomb? You can find a whole bunch of religious leaders that have gone before us and died and stayed dead. Why? Because you can find their graves. Some still have some flowers. You won't find the grave of Jesus Christ because he ain't there. Explain to me why all of these men and women go to their graves, ripped up by lions, on their own crosses, beheaded. All, they all go to their grave, and there is not one single account. Google it. Of any of them saying, JK, 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 I'm hanging on to a lie. They all go to the grave holding on to the truth. And so how do you respond to an uncomfortable truth? John MacArthur tells the story of, of a man coming, a Muslim man uh, sitting in one of his services. And, and he came up after the sermon. He talked to John MacArthur, and he said yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so John invited him back to his office. He explained even more in depth what it means to be a Christian and, and what it means to follow Jesus and some next steps. And, and John was like telling the story. He's, he's so happy about this. A Muslim man turned to Jesus. It's a great thing. And then as he's leaving John's office, he turned back and said, John, thank you so much. I now have Muhammad and Jesus. <laughs> and then he left. And at that moment, John was crushed. Why? Because he didn't really go to truth. He was trying to be Jesus plus something, Muhammad plus something. And that is not truth. So what do you do with reality? Or, 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 or maybe with reality, you just make flippant comments. Uh, the truth is uncomfortable. So in, in making a flippant comment, we'll just say, well, this is uncomfortable. So all roads lead to God. Or believing something. As long as I believe in something, that is good, to, good enough. Or I can do whatever I want, but God will forgive me. But I'm still going to reject Jesus. No, no, you will not find forgiveness for those that reject Jesus. You make a flippant comment that it's not that bad, or I don't care, or I worry about tomorrow until tomorrow doesn't come. You'll say, like, one of my sons, it's whatever. <laughs> You'll say, God isn't real, or it is what it is, or you do you. You do you is what got us into this mess in the first place. <laughs> Perhaps we need to stop you doing youing and turn to Jesus who did something for us. What do you base your truth on when you say those flippant comments? What's your basis for that truth? 
Is there any basis for that truth? And so we, we will then, maybe we, maybe we won't realize, but maybe we should realize that, no, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one gets to the Father but through me. Maybe we need to realize that, no, Jesus never said, you do you. Maybe we need to realize that we, as we throw away around these uncomfortable phrases, that we really need to cling to the truth, that perhaps we are sinful. Perhaps the best answer is that we deserve punishment. Perhaps there is condemnation coming upon us, but perhaps God did create a way of forgiveness. Perhaps we need to look at an all-inclusive gospel message for us, we need to look at God is all-inclusive. He wants all to come in, but he comes, he does that with, through an exclusive manner, through Jesus alone. Perhaps his death, his burial, his resurrection, for those that believe, leave us with nothing to fear. Perhaps we need to stop making flippant comments, and perhaps we need to cling to Jesus, and just Jesus changes everything. Perhaps... We have nothing to fear for those that love Jesus Christ. And so you walked in here, and for me, I walk in here ready to worship, ready to party, ready to celebrate. Why? Because I understand the love of Jesus Christ. I have nothing to fear. There's others that would come in here and don't understand the love of Jesus Christ. And for you, you have everything to fear. The big thought for us this morning is that perfect love drives out fear. They all respond with so many different elements of fear. But only one, only one group, only the women go to Jesus and worship. Only one of them sees that Jesus in his love can drive out fear. What do you do with your fear? How do you respond to Jesus? Are you willing to give him your trust? Are you willing to say, I am not in control, that you are in control, and I trust you with my worship. I trust you with my love. That's my challenge for us this morning, is that we would be okay with not being in control. Because I say that statement, like, it will be on the screen in a second, like, be okay with not being in control. What is, that statement alone brings some of you and makes you a little bajiggity, like, I have to be in control. Well, maybe that's what's creating the mess. For me, I look at not being in control, I have a different perspective. Me not being in control brings me to a place of worship. A God that can predict his own murder and then raise from the grave, that's a God that I want to give complete control over to. So what will you do with that? Will you be okay that God is in complete control and that we are not? And would it lead to a place of worship? If it leads to a place of worship, then I can understand that there is a reason for so many things in my life. There's a reason for all that I do. There's a reason for hope. There's a reason for love. And I, and I, I know this because I asked so many Christians this week on social media, like, where, where does Jesus give you hope? Where does, what's the reason? Like, where does he give you reason in life? And here's what so many Christians said this week as they thought through the worshipfulness of God being in control. They said that there's a reason I can fight. There's a reason for help. There's a reason I can push ahead. There's a reason to give Jesus all of my anxiety. There's a reason to speak truth into my fear. There's a reason why I exist. There's a reason I believe. There's a reason to forgive. There's a reason I can love. There's a reason to invite people. There's a reason to pray for one. There's a reason to surrender. There's a reason to find joy in the storm. There's a reason I didn't get hired. There's a reason that I should be thankful he ain't texting back. There's a reason to slow down. There's a reason to laugh. There's a reason. I have time to help others. There's a reason for setbacks. There's a reason I was led to, work, to Wellspring. There's a reason that the relationship did not work out. There's a reason I was broken. There's a reason I deserved hell. There's a reason I needed to save you. There's a reason he loved. There's a reason he died. There's a reason he rose. And I will add, there is a reason you are here. Every person that made one of those statements, I know it brings them to a place of worship. Some of you walked in here with no hope 
Some of you walked in here with no reason, no purpose. But there's others in here that marvel at the name of Jesus because we have hope, we have life, and we have purpose because we serve a living Jesus. And that brings us to a place of worship and marvel. Let's sing. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to stay connected, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Facebook or Instagram, and if you would like to help us with our mission of igniting a craving for Jesus by relentlessly loving our community, you can find the link to give and all the other ways to connect with us down in the description box below.